This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Castle Rock Historic Bed and Breakfast, the first fully immersive lodging experience of historical integrity for the true crime aficionado. A chance to stay in a house where actual murders have been recreated in exquisite detail. All located in Castle Rock, the murder capital of 1991. Can you believe that? Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, the birthday extravaganza continues for Kelsey's birthday. Hooray! We are going to be discussing 1981's Bloody Birthday and 2016's Happy Birthday. Don't forget to stick around at the end of the episode. We're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion of the most recent two episodes of Castle Rock, episodes eight and nine, Past Perfect, and the penultimate episode, Henry Deaver. But before we get to the movies, how do we start the show, Kelsey? Slash cards. Give me what you got. Who was the special effects designer for John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982? Oh, God. I spent so much time looking at this guy, too. Yes, you did. I I won't be able to think of his name. I'm sorry. Rob Botton. Thank you. Yep. It, like, just ping in my brain when you say it, but there was no way I was finding that in there. (laughs) All right, Kelsey. Here's an easy one for you. Horror can show up in unexpected places, like the nightmare-inducing boat ride from this 1971 family film. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That is correct. Stupid that they changed the name. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's how you know. Because the first one was all about Willy Wonka, so they changed it to Willy. Because it's a great name. I'm sorry, it's a great name. It's but a it better title for a movie. No, it isn't. because It, it doesn't, doesn't have the alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> it's Willy Wonka, man. <laughs> All right. So last week we celebrated my birthday. This week we're celebrating Kelsey's birthday. And I got to say, this week is interesting. Yep. It is really, really interesting. First up is 1981's Bloody Birthday, written and directed by Ed Hunt, with another writing credit from Barry Pearson, starring Lori Lethen, Melinda Cordell, and Homecoming Queen's Got a Guns, <laughs> Julie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody run. The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. What else is Julie Brown from, Kelsey? Earth Girls are easy. And she's the... P.E. teacher from Clueless. That's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> my doctor says I can't have balls flying at my face. <laughs> there goes her social life. <laughs> I didn't even quote her. I don't know why. No, you did not. <laughs> she calls them ladies, right? I remember that. It's been too long since share I've seen Clueless. Earth to share. She says that. Okay. <laughs> Earth to share. Come in, share. All right. Kelsey, what is Bloody Birthday about? About. What's the premise? Three kids are born at the height of an eclipse, and ten years later, 
we find out the consequences of that. <laughs> yeah, this one was... I didn't know what to expect with this movie. I had no preconceived notion. I really didn't even know what the premise was. And I'm glad you kept it at that because that's like the first two minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it goes some places, let me tell you. Yes, it does. Should people watch the movie? I liked it. I don't know that you have to see it. It's like an hour and a half long. Yeah, it's, it's pretty short. It's on YouTube for free. You can find one. We found one that was like three something hours long and it's just repeating. So, I mean, I hate to take money from these people, but I don't know if we could even we find, find it. We couldn't find it. Yeah, we couldn't find it anywhere else. So, uh, YouTube, I guess. It's a weird movie. I wouldn't call it an 80s slasher, but... No. But that's kind of what it's going for a little bit. It's got a unique take, I guess. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. It will remind you of a lot of things, but it is wholly original in certain ways. So take that for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When we get back, we'll talk about 1981's Bloody Birthday. 1970, three children were born during a total eclipse of the sun. Now, ten years later, they share a terrible compulsion to kill, and no one can stop them. If they decide they don't like you, watch out. The children will stop at nothing to get a deadly murder weapon, and anyone can be their victim. No one is safe. Not even their families can escape. Bloody birthday. They hate their babysitter and her little brother. And the teachers at school are so mean. No matter where you run, they'll find you. There's no escape. Bloody Birthday, a terrifying journey into the bazaar. Will you get out alive? All right, Kelsey, what happens in Bloody Birthday? Walk me through the plot. So as I said, um, June 9th, 1970, Meadowvale, California, three women go into labor at the height of an eclipse. Cut to ten years later, we open on a couple that are making out, and there's this gross line about, um, you want to play ambulance? Oh, yeah. Here comes the ambulance down the highway. Red light. There's no red lights to stop an ambulance. Yeah, it's a little rapey. Always, always, always. Uh, We just can't get through. And you know what? While you're here... If this is if this is going to be a problem for you, do not watch the second movie. Yeah. So just don't. They are in a cemetery, and so it's like, oh, we're right yeah. out here in the open. No, they're not even in a cemetery. Yes, they are. Where specifically? Well, are no. They? At first, they're just there, and then he, she says, "We're right out here in the open." He goes, "Oh, I know a place we can go." Where do they go, Kelsey? Inside an open grave. That is weird. So weird. Weird. Super weird. So while they're in there, the girl gets strangled by a cord, but the dude just keeps getting hit in the face (laughs) by a shovel. So it starts with him getting hit in the face with a shovel. She's screaming, and then she gets strangled by a a jump rope. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the dude gets back up to help her, and she gets hit in the head with the shovel again. It is so like, funny. Like, stumbling around. And the sound is hilarious. <laughs> it just keeps going. We don't know what it is or who did it. We just know these two kids are killed. And then? Then we see a kid sneaking into his house through the window, 
And his sister is supposed to be watching him. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I want to feed the dog. And she totally doesn't believe him. But she's just like, whatever. Just get in here and go to bed. Um, These are Timmy and Joyce Russell, played by Casey Martell and Lori Lethen, respectively. Uh, They're probably going to be the primary focus of this movie, I would say. Yeah. uh, And we're shown right off the bat that she is doing a lot of research into astrology. Yeah, there's a lot of astrology. I will say something for this movie. At first, I actually have written down here, um, what is with this astrology subplot? Because it keeps coming up. And then ultimately, I was like, whoop, there you go. And we'll come back to that. So, but continue. So the next day they're at school. Um, She is there, I think for college credit, civics credit. She's there to help the teacher. And... The police officer is there because they've already discovered the two kids. Like, they really didn't do much to try and hide them. No, they just left them in the grave. I think they put some dirt on them, but not much. Yeah. Uh, So the cop is just, like, you know, asking all the kids questions. And this one boy, like, stands up and he has, like, he has a big smile on his face and a perfect question. I mean, a perfect answer. And then our kid, Timmy, like, calls him a kiss-ass. So, like, we're supposed to be thinking it's Timmy at this point, because he's kind of, like, a jerk, and he was climbing in through the window. Yeah. And then we find out that all three kids, so the good kid that just stood up and gave the great answer, this blonde girl who also gives a really good answer, and then another kid, they're the three kids that were born at the height of the eclipse. Debbie, Curtis, the kid with the glasses, the smart kid, and Steven, the blonde guy. So they're going to have a birthday party, so they go to ask their teacher, who's pretty strict, if they can have the weekend off for homework, because everyone's going to be at their birthday party. And she's just like, what? Homework is way more important than a party? No. Yeah. And she smiles, and she's like, okay, thank you, Mrs. Whatever. Like, the perfect child would, right? It's It felt very much like Children of the Damned. Yes. We talked about that, where they're like... These perfect kids, but they're a little too perfect and creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this point, we still don't necessarily know who the killers are, but then we just found out that all these three kids share a birthday. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, okay. And we know that those two teenagers couldn't have been killed by one person. Right. Because so. while one person is getting strangled, uh, the other guy gets hit in the head with a shovel. So we know there's more than one person there. And then we pretty quickly see that they are not the perfect children that they pretend to be. Because the girl Debbie. charges boys uh-huh. to look through a peephole at her sister it's while very, she changes. It's very porkies. It's very weird. Yeah. And then when people find out, they think it's funny. Yeah. Well, kids... Although she does say she'll kill her or whatever. Oh my but it's God. like it's like not even a big thing. So Debbie's uh sister is Julie Brown. Mm-hmm. Beverly. Who's the hot one who we see actually get dressed and who appears nude in the film. Mm-hmm. But shortly after this, like, do you want to get into the sheriff? Yeah, so we find out that the sheriff is the little blonde girl's father. And and Julie Brown's father. Julie Brown's father. And he comes home and he puts the gun out where everyone can see it. <laughs> uh-huh. And then, yeah, they straight up kill him. So 
there's a, a skateboard that's left out on the steps and Debbie calls him out, daddy, I got to show you this thing. And he misses the skateboard and she's kind of bummed and she shows him the jump rope and he's like, where did you get this? It's the rest of the jump rope that they found the handle to um, at the side of the gravesite murders. And she doesn't really say anything and out comes Stephen or Curtis. I don't remember which one and hits him on the head. Stephen uh, hits him on the head with a baseball bat and Debbie just kind of watches. Yeah. And Timmy ends up kind not seeing this, but they drag his body over to the steps to make it look like he fell on the skateboard. And then Timmy sees them futzing with the body. And that's when Debbie calls for the mom. Yeah. So they tell us. Yeah. I don't know why they tried to trick us in the beginning if they're just going to tell us five minutes later. We still don't know to what extent Timmy is involved. So then they're playing hide and seek in a junkyard. Yeah. And because Timmy saw them, Curtis is hiding. And I think Steven's counting or Debbie's counting doesn't matter. And they hide in a an old refrigerator. You know the stories. Mm-hmm. You don't go in an old refrigerator because they lock from the outside. Mm-hmm. And so if you're if you're playing around at a junkyard, which was apparently a thing, <laughs> uh, kids don't go and don't hide in an old refrigerator because it, it locks from the outside. And so Curtis tells Tommy to get in there. And he does, and as soon as he's about to close the door, Curtis jumps out and closes it on him, and now Tommy's trapped. Yeah. And he's kind of fucked, and we just see these kids just, the three kids regroup and just walk away. Mm-hmm. It's definitely an intense scene. Yeah. He's in there for a while, screaming, trying to figure out a way out, and he does. He uh, He gets a... I don't know what that is. There was like a like a metal piece of of uh, rod or something that's like belonged to a rack inside the refrigerator, and he manages to get it through the door frame and then pop it open. Now he might have like cooked in there. It would have taken him forever to suffocate because if he can get that wire out of there, he can get air. Right. So it's it's not a great refrigerator and it's not a great trap, but he does manage to get out, which he wouldn't have been. He would have starved. And when he gets out, there's this amazing triumphant music playing. Yeah, I remember that. So then he doesn't immediately go and tell the fucking police that he got locked in there and left for dead. Yeah, but when Joyce asks him about it, he tells him, he tells her what happened, and she doesn't believe him. Yeah, because he had already come in through the window and not told her the truth about where he was. Yeah. So she's like, I can't trust you now. And this is when he tells her, oh, I, the reason I was out that night, I was at their house and I was looking at the sister and they're friends. And she just starts laughing. Yeah. She finds it hysterical. Mm-hmm. That's so messed up. So anyway, we 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 get a scene where Debbie, the little girl, is compiling a scrapbook. Mm-hmm. And we see that the dad's story, the sheriff's story is in there. And she ends up putting a picture of Miss Davis in there. 
basically as a portent that Miss Davis is next. And she absolutely is. Cut to her inside some sort of kitchen. I would assume it's like the, I assume it's like where the teachers eat. Oh, but we missed a really important thing. Oh, okay. The sheriff's gun is left on the counter. He didn't have it on him when he died. Right. And Debbie lets Curtis in and he switches his replica gun, which everyone seems to know about. He has a replica revolver. With the sheriff's real one. Mm-hmm. And now Curtis has a real revolver. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, things like that where the movie sets something up that's very important to establish continuity and then it pays off later, that happens a lot in this movie. Like, a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so, yeah, the, Mrs. Davis, the teacher. So, yeah, she's like in a kitchen area where I guess the p- teachers eat – And Curtis just kind of comes in there with his gun pointed at her. And she's just like, if you bring that replica one more time, I will, I don't know, do something. Um, And so he puts it away because that's not how he plans to kill her, I guess. Yeah. uh But it is. Oh, is that what? That's how he he kills her. her. So, yeah. yeah, uh So he shoots her. They kill her. I don't even know what they do with the body. Uh, They hide it in a closet in the room and they go outside to play. And Tommy's there, too, because Joyce shows up because she's going to help Miss Davis with something or whatever. And and as uh, Joyce is in the room, Curtis sneaks out the back or out out the front door when she's not looking. And when she looks outside, she sees him go up to Tommy and Debbie and Steven and kind of nothing happens until... Tommy just fucking jumps on Curtis and just starts wailing on him. Yes. Because he tried to kill him. Right. Or he played a really dangerous practical joke, however you want to frame that. And so Joyce comes out and stops the fight. But she does find Miss Davis's – when she goes back inside, she finds Miss Davis's body in the closet. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's another funeral. (laughs) Yes. Uh, She gets home and she finds a note from Timmy. Timmy? Have I been saying Tommy? I think you've been saying Timmy. I think it's Timmy. Whatever it is, the actual name of the character is in fact Timmy. Saying that he's back in the junkyard. Which he promised her he wouldn't do. So she goes to the junkyard to look for him. And this is creepy as fuck. A car starts chasing her down. Oh, that's right. A la Christine. And it's yeah. Debbie in the front seat with a with a uh with a bag over her head. A la the strangers. Yeah. It felt very much like the strangers or like Jason. Now I will say, when she's cornered at one point in the junkyard and it comes charging at her, what is it that Joyce does? She, she goes jumps up. on top of the car. Moochie could take some advice from Joyce. Mm-hmm. Moochie being uh, the character from Christine who gets cornered and then crushed mm-hmm. because he doesn't just go up. <laughs> right. Oh, well, a cop ends up showing up right as uh, the car goes over a cliff and crashes. But we saw the kids got out of the car and, and forced it to drive on its own. But what bothers me is that they had to have put something onto the fucking... They don't show what that was. But right. they planned everything else so well. But they put I something on the gas, and yet the cop doesn't believe her when he looks inside the car and there's nobody in there. It's well, it's like, not like permanently You had to there. have seen the fucking rock that yeah, they put on but there. but the car goes over the edge of a cliff. It's not still sitting on the gas pedal. Anyway. But, so, 
I want to point out this movie was made before both before um, Friday the 13th. Yes. And The Strangers. And that bag she has overhead is like exactly Friday what they the 13th wear. part two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think they stole from this movie. I don't know if this movie was that big. <laughs> I don't think it was, but can you? I don't know. It's very similar. Yeah. So this is when we. This is when the astrology thing pays off because it keeps on happening, and Joyce and Timmy have a conversation about astrology and talking about oh what this means for you and what this means for da da da. And then Timmy asks about uh, Debbie. And Curtis and Steven, since they all share the same birthday. And so she does the math and and goes through the history and where all the planets would be. And she discovers that that eclipse, which is made up of the moon and the sun, are both blocking Saturn. It's actually an eclipse by an eclipse. So the eclipse is eclipsing Saturn. And Saturn controls the way a person uh, feels feels emotions Mm -hmm. and treats other people. And so it's revealed that basically, oh, that's why they don't feel anything. They're sociopaths. We also skipped the part where uh, there's been a call about someone stalking around. And that is, what's his name? What's Curtis, his name? Curtis running around with a gun. So that happens here. And oh my God, the way he does it is hysterical. Curtis running around in the dark with a gun and then some headlights shine on him. And he looks and then he runs away. <laughs> Priceless. It is so funny. So good. It is the way he stalks around is hilarious. But he can't get to Joyce and Timmy for one reason or another. Oh, because there's all this activity around the house with the cars driving and everything like that. So instead, he stumbles upon a van. And this van is full of some naked, not full of, contains two naked teenagers who are getting down. Yes, this movie really thought that sex was very, nudity very was necessary. Nudity was the way to go. Yeah, uh-huh. So also, if you wonder why movies like Scream and stuff like that talk about nudity and <laughs> all that, it's because of movies like this. The, the movies that were coming out around this time were definitely like, we got to show nudity, and if you have sex, you die. Right. So these two do, in fact, die because Curtis shoots the dude... And then opens the door and shoots the girl. And the look he has on his face, he's like smiling while he shoots them. Mm-hmm. And holy fuck, I love this kid. He is so like hardcore. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's very he's nuts. Also, did you notice how tan those those two were? Yeah. They were it's crazy. almost like they were hired specifically for the purpose of being naked. Yes, exactly. Now, this whole time I'm thinking, these kids are blatant. Every murder we've seen so far is practically out in the open. Mm-hmm. They're basically relying on the fact that if anything happens where they get caught, th- plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to believe a kid is murderous. Also, these three kids who are considered, like, perfect children. Exactly, yeah, because they are in public. Um, so they're blatant and reckless, but they're crazy clever. Mm-hmm. And we'll see a little bit later how that pays off for them. My next uh, note, in fact, is him being really clever. It's the birthday party. Yeah, so they're having this birthday party and they're serving cupcakes. Yeah. And they decide that the sister of Timmy knows too much. So Joyce. they're like, what are we going to do? And they're, he's like, well, we'll make it so she seems like she's crazy. We don't know that, though. No, he says that. Does he? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that. He does say it. 
Uh, so he goes into the kitchen where all the cupcakes are, and cakes. he cakes or whatever. Full-size cakes, yeah. And he keeps putting a ton of frosting on top of them, and he keeps getting yelled at for it, but he keeps doing it. Uh-huh. She takes one. He's like, hey, stop that. You're ruining it. And she takes the one that he's doing that to. Meanwhile, they have their own cake. The three of them have their own cake. But there are two more for all everyone else in the town. Joyce takes it outside, and when she comes back in, everyone's cutting that cake, and she comes back in to get the other one, and he's really doing it to this cake. And she catches him, and she's like, stop it. And what do you have behind your back? And so she makes him reveal, uh, he like drops it or whatever. Yeah. And it's poison. Ant poison. Ant poison. What? With enough. Is that a thing? Is ant poison? Uh, it's like raid. That's what that is. You don't want to huff but that. But who has it in a bottle? It's the late 70s, early 80s. So what'd you do that? You just kind of splash it around? I don't know. I think it might be granular, though. I think it might uh, be like, like no, but it looks like sugar. a liquid. I don't know. Doesn't matter. It's not important. Okay. <laughs> so she freaks out and runs outside and like knocks the cake yes, out of everyone's hands. Yes, it's hilarious. Hands, and she's like, "Curtis poisoned the cake." And then this kid's like realizes he ate all of his. He's like, "Oh God!" <laughs> he has it all over his face and he holds his tummy. He's like, "Oh God." <laughs> Yeah, so nobody believes her, and there's this one of the dads is like, here, and he goes and he takes a bite, and then Curtis goes and takes a bite for himself. Yeah. And she's like, you tricked me. You fooled me into thinking you point. And she, like, grabs him and shakes him, and they kind of have to push her off of him. Mm-hmm. And then she does it again, and they have to push her off, and now, they're, now everyone's like, what are you doing harassing this young boy, and you're ruining this party? Why the fuck would you believe that he poisoned the, the stuff? And it's like... Because his explanation for the poison was, I was just picking it up. It had fallen, and I picked it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just she realizes. Okay, their conscience is missing. Yes, I think at one point she sees the the refrigerator too, which proves Timmy's story. Then we have filler. There's a lot of filler in this movie that we have skipped. What do you think the filler is here? She goes to um, her astrology teacher and she's like, what I really want to do is be a reporter. And he's like, what about your boyfriend? And she's like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to wait around or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's like, why, why does any of this matter to the story? Why do we care? I completely forgot about that. Exactly. There's a lot of filler in this I movie. I just, all the filler just gone from my head. I think you're right. They could take it out and make it a little bit tighter. Um, the maybe movie is an hour and a half long, scenes. and I think that if it had just been the story that they wanted to do, it would have been like an hour or it less. It could have been an hour and 15. <laughs> I think they, they might have instead extended the kill scenes to make them a little bit more uh, exciting. Yes. Yeah. So anyway... The next important thing to happen is Debbie's sister Beverly finds the scrapbook. Yes, that everyone's faces have been putting into. And she's just upset because it has like a clipping of the death of their father. Yeah, what are you, some kind of ghoul? She shows it. I'm going to show it to mom. And she shows it to mom. And... When the mom yells at her, she's like, it's not mine. It's uh, Curtis and Stevens. They left it here. And she's like, well, you're never hanging out with Curtis and Steven again. And she was like super pissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Oh. <laughs> yeah, never a good thing. Not, not a good idea to get your daughter angry. So then I forget where the mom goes, but then the sister is making a fire. Making a fire. Oh, in the fireplace. Yes. Yeah. And the sister comes up on her with like a poker. Yeah. The sister comes up on her with the poker and Beverly turns around and catches her. And, but since the sister's just standing there holding the poker, and it's not, like, up or anything like that, she's like, oh, give me that, and takes it, like, you know, oh, I'm going to help you with the fire, and Beverly's like, no, you're not. When Beverly is in her room later, Debbie uses the hole, the peeping hole in the room, to take a bow, an arrow, that's in her closet, and, like, tap on the wall to get Beverly's attention. Yeah. It's ingenious. I'm sorry. It's ingenious. But my thing is, why wouldn't the sister have covered up the hole now that she knows it's there? That's a good point. That bothered me. Yeah. Anyway, so she taps on the wall, and Beverly gets closer and closer until she looks in, at which point, arrow through the eye. Yep. So fucking cool. Mm -hmm. And then she calls Curtis and Steven over, and they hide the body. She makes sure to put, like, newspaper or something underneath the wound so it doesn't get blood everywhere and they're really uh but there is some blood that falls there and they hide the body and when the mom catches debbie scrubbing the floor of the blood debbie says i was playing with her nail polish and i dropped it so i'm cleaning it up and she's like well that's good i'm glad you're taking care of that i'm sorry i got so mad at you before everything's great right mm-hmm Nope. There's another kid. Is it Timmy? Do they try to kill Timmy with the garden hose? Or is it another kid? I don't remember. But this scene is very, very long. Well, but what effectively happens is they end up attacking this kid and trying to strangle him with the garden hose. Pretty certain it's Timmy. Yeah, I think it might be Timmy. And when Joyce is outside and she sees that the garden hose is being tugged on... Um, the, the sprinkler is like being dragged across the garden. She's like, what the heck? And she follows it and she sees it happening. Um, and so she stops them. And Debbie, since she was just standing there, were like, oh, Curtis and Steven were just bullying him or whatever and blames it on Curtis and Steven again. Yeah. And I don't get why Timmy never picks up on the fact that she's in on it. Yeah. I know she's never actually physically hurt him in some way. Yeah. But how does he not get the fact that they're all in on it together? Right. I don't know. So Debbie comes up to Joyce in her house and goes up to Joyce and and we think something bad's going to happen and is like, no, it's just that my mom and sister are going to be away and I want to know if you can babysit me. And you can invite Timmy too. You know, we can hang out. So they do. They go over to her house and Timmy's unawares because nothing's... Like you say, he hasn't grokked to the fact that Debbie's involved in any of this. Somehow. And so this is when, like, the big climactic scene happens. And it goes on and on. Yes. But here's what you need to know. Effectively, they attack. All these kids attack. And we see they use the hole. She tries the bow and arrow trick again, and that doesn't work. Um, They cut the phone line, I think, at one point. Uh, They try to strangle him with the phone line while Curtis is shooting at them. And it's just like fucking balls to the wall that shit's going on. Mm -hmm. And they end up trapping Curtis and Steven. But Debbie gets away. 
So Debbie runs outside and she runs away and she runs into the mom coming home and she gets in the car and she's like, oh my God, Stephen and Curtis broke into the house and they tried to hurt us. Joyce and Timmy think I was involved and they're going to blame me too. And now the the mom mom has lost her daughter and her husband husband so far. And because we didn't say, but she found the daughter and they had a funeral for her too. And so she's lost her husband and one of her daughters. She's not going to lose the other one. Mm -hmm. So they drive away and we don't see what happens to them uh, yet, but they carry Curtis and Stephen away and the whole town's there. And they're like, oh my God, uh, what happened? How did it get to this? You know, all of that. Uh, Curtis smiles at Joyce and Timmy and that kid's smile. There's that smile again. He's a creepy kid. He's, he's fucking he's, awesome. He's Curtis good. is 100% the best part of this movie. <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> so... That's the end of the movie, except we get one more scene. Mm-hmm. So then we see that the mom and the daughter have, are on the road. They're at like a rest stop or something like that. And we just see Debbie outside playing with like a car jack, pumping it up and twisting the handle to where it goes back down again. And her mom comes out and like is, hey, remember, you're not Debbie. You're such and such Beth name. Beth Simpson. Yeah, you're Beth Simpson. Uh, we're gonna We're moving to a different area. You got to promise to be a good girl. And Debbie's like, yeah, no, I'm a good girl. I'm going to be the best. Mm -hmm. After what happened, you'll never have to worry about me again. And they get in the car and they drive off. But the camera, the camera stays. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into this shop and turns around. And we see there's a dead man crushed under the tire of a truck. Mm -hmm. That's where the carjack came from. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the movie. That is a killer ending. It is. It's a good ending. I love that. No pun intended, but I, I really love that ending. It's a good ending. I, I wrote down here, what a kick-ass ending. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, uh, before we get into our thoughts, do you have a lightning round item or two? Just uh, some more of that filler stuff. Like, we hear about Timmy and his sister's dad and how he has a bad heart condition and that goes nowhere. Sure. But then I said, like, I wrote down, because she threatens her sister with the arrow and then, like, nothing happens with it. Like, she doesn't threaten her, but she's in the closet pointing it through the hole while she's making out with her boyfriend. But she doesn't do anything with it. And What does that have to do with what I just said? And I wrote down, now that I think about it, the arrow scene hasn't gone anywhere. Oh. And then I wrote down, never mind, there it is. This movie kept doing that to me. Like I said the same thing about astrology. It happened to that too. It's just some things actually go nowhere. So it's like there's a grab bag of things that happen and certain of those are picked out and selected as being used again later on. And more filler of the, of Julie Brown dancing around naked in her in her room. It's just there's just a lot of just scenes that you're just like, why is this still happening? Um another thing though, the burglar alarm, they keep referencing the burglar alarm, and that goes nowhere until the very end. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I I think secretly this is a very well-constructed story. It is. I think hiding under the fact that it's a cheesy B murder movie 
it, it might actually be a brilliantly told story just yeah. with some minor things like scenes that are pointless and are unnecessary that could be taken out. And then that time could have been spent elsewhere. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I just I wish that it had been tighter. I wish it had been more cleaned up. Well, we're getting into our in our overall thoughts. I did want to say one more thing, and that is that Julie Brown's boyfriend is the American ninja Michael Dudikoff. Have you ever seen the American Ninja movies? Nope. I watched a lot of like bad 80s and 90s like martial arts movies because my dad loved them. And we'd get to watch rated R movies when my mom went out of town for work. He'd rent, you know, Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. And one of those franchises we'd watch was American Ninja. And the American Ninja was Michael Dudikoff. He is in the movie and like all of two scenes. And then he just, after Beverly dies, we don't even get to see his reaction to her death. Like he just disappears from the movie. And it's like, Oh, that's a bummer. I wanted to see more of Michael Dudikoff. (laughs) So anyway, that said, what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, I would imagine that it has very few reviews. It doesn't have enough to get a, a review on Rotten Tomatoes, but there is, an audience score out of 2,079 ratings. Really? Yes. What do you think it's average? Now, remember, it treats audience scores differently. It's not a positive or negative, and then what's the score based on that? It's actual average scores out of five. So what do you think the percentage is? I would guess 70%. 55%. Ouch. Way underrated. I agree. Way. I don't know what these people are smoking. It has a 2.9 out of 5 on average. That's crazy talk. This movie, I don't know where this movie has been all my life. I mean, it's not great. No, but I, it's not great, but I love it. (laughs) I'm glad you liked it so much. I love it. Like I said, I think secretly it's a well-constructed story. It is. I think I kind of want to edit those unnecessary scenes out. Mm-hmm. And so I can just watch a shorter version over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids are creepy as fuck. They are. I love it. I love this movie. I think it's great. What would you give it, though? I'd probably give it a 70. Really? Yeah. I mean, I liked it a lot, but it's not edited well. Some of the acting is pretty good. Like you said, with Curtis, other acting is not so good. Steven gets, like, nothing in this movie. Yeah, he gets, He gets to attack some kids every once in a while, and that's it. Yeah. And it's, it's, the coloring is so bad on it. That might have something to do with us watching it on YouTube. Maybe. And it being a cheap copy. But yeah, it's, it's, I wrote down, actually, in my notes, here's the actual sentence I wrote down. This movie is low-rent AF. But boy, is it balls to the wall with child murder, and it wastes no fucking time getting there. Yeah, but it also just felt like it just needed to be quicker. It needed to be faster. Yeah. There was too, like I said, too much filler and too much sex unnecessary with teenagers. Yeah. When those characters aren't even characters we care about. They're literally just there to have sex and get murdered. Right. At least in Halloween and Friday the 13th, like, we know these characters. Right. We're, we're interested in what they're doing. Yeah, the, the kids that were having sex in the van came out of fucking nowhere. They were nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. 
All right. What would you give it? 77. Okay. I decided I'll, it'll be 77. Um, it's like I, I have to factor in that it is not a well shot movie. Right, no. And there's a lot of problems with it. But there's a lot of stuff that I really, really enjoy. This is in no way a 55. I would love it if they remade it. Yes. Although if they remade it today, I don't know. With the trend in modern horror movies going for coolness over anything else, I don't know. I'm a little worried that they would fuck it up. If they did remake it, would you want them to tell the audience so early on that it's the kids? I think so. Okay. I think we should. I, I enjoyed that. Like I said, they wasted no time in getting to that. And Curtis being creepy. And as Curtis shit. being creepy is fucking awesome. <laughs> and I think I think the audience should be allowed to enjoy that from as early as possible. Okay. All right, that is Bloody Birthday from 1981. A surprise for me, at least. Oh, yeah, no, I liked everyone. It. Where the hell were you on this movie? Why haven't I heard anyone say anything about this movie? It's true. Never heard of it. And that's a real bummer. Like Kelsey, no, I've seen, I've seen the girl. No, the Debbie? picture before. So the picture for this movie is a birthday cake, and um, the hand is coming up through it. Yeah, the candles are fingers. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've seen that, but I don't know why. Maybe in Blockbuster or some shit. Maybe on Tumblr. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, I'd never heard of it. Yeah, so. You know what? In retrospect, I'd say give this one a watch. Okay. Even after having listened to us talk about it, give it a watch. It's an hour and a half of your time. A little bit more than an hour and a half of your time. But it's awesome. I love (laughs) it. All right. Moving on before we get to our next movie, Kelsey, give me another slash card. Name three horror films. Fuck. With dark or darkness in the title. So the first question on every one of these cards, I mean, you have to think it's like Trivial Pursuit, but for horror movies, the first question is always like, name this number of movies with this thing. And it's like, sometimes it's like, name five, name four. This is name three. And I hate these. What was the topic I need to find again? With dark or darkness in the title. The darkness. The darkness. <laughs> uh, well, the reason you're bringing this up is because of the dark half. That is correct. That is why I chose that question. But I got to name three. Mm-hmm. God, isn't there like a Wes Craven or John Carpenter movie with darkness in the title? Why am I missing? I'm missing something, aren't I? Well, you're missing two movies. Yeah, I, I, my brain's farting right now. Would you like to know the examples? I would like to know the examples. The Dark Half. Uh-huh. Dark Water, which I think oh, you yeah. saw with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dark Night of the Scarecrow. That seems a little unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't it just be Night of the Scarecrow? I don't know. Night of the Triffids? All right. But I mean, there's tons. If you Yeah, really I just, none it. of them were coming to mind. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my, like, anyway, I'm not going to get there. Kelsey, I actually chose this category for you, but it's only name two. Usually that means it's hard. This is not going to be hard. Okay. Kelsey, name two horror movies that feature babysitters. 
Well, there's the Netflix movie, The Babysitter, which actually wasn't that bad. You watched that without me. I did. And then, of course, Halloween. That is correct. Uh, This says Halloween, of course. And When a Stranger Calls. Yeah, that one, too. There's also Better Watch Out, which we reviewed in our 11th episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an interesting one, but it does also involve a babysitter. Well, there's tons of movies that yes. have babysitters. All right, Kelsey. Next up is 2016's Happy Birthday. Written and directed by Casey Tebow, starring Vanessa Langes, Tristan Mays, Eric Palladino, and of course, Steven Tyler, more than just a cameo, a lot yeah. of his... His music is in this. Mm-hmm. He is in like three different scenes. Mm-hmm. A lot of Steven Tyler in this. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to give a content warning on this one. It'll be in the episode description as well. There's like a lot of general queer phobia, um, homophobia, transphobia, like, like a lot of it. It's all over. I thought there was a bunch of rape in this movie. That is what I was getting next to, to next. There's a lot of allusions and references and imagery um, of rape. So, I mean, I think it's the immaturity of the filmmakers that there seems to be, I think, more recently than ever because it's, like, edgy that there's a lot of this kind of content that's totally unnecessary mm-hmm. just to make the film edgier. And I'm going to talk about it that weighs just that general concept of the pursuit of edginess weighs on this movie so much. I'm very conflicted on this movie. Me too. Because there are parts of it that I absolutely fucking love. That's interesting. And there are parts that I loathe with every fiber of my being. What is it about, Kelsey? For his birthday, a dude and his best friend go to Mexico. And a lot of bad things happen. Yes. Should people watch the movie? I would say no. I think you can take a pass on this one. I think you can take a pass. However, if you're the type of person that, like, starts to listen just to see if maybe it'll be sound interesting, I can tell you right now we're going to ruin the ending right off the bat. Yes. So if you want to watch it, you need to see it before we t- start talking about it. Yes. And like I said, there's stuff of value. If you have a strong stomach for the stuff that we've been talking about and you're curious then and you don't want the twist spoiled then watch it first otherwise it's totally unnecessary listen to us talk about it and then you can decide if afterwards you want to actually experience the stuff that we liked and if it's worth it for the stuff that we hated that said do either or and when we come back we will talk about 2016's happy birthday Happy birthday, buddy. Wow. Tijuana? I am not taking you to Tijuana. I am taking you to the real Mexico. I've taken care of everything. You guys want to have some fun? This is so weird. It's only weird if you make it weird. I hate chicken. Okay, cheesy! Ah! <laughs> 
Tonight's my birthday. Oh. Wanna party at our hotel? Where's Tommy? Oh. Why are you guys doing this? The more we do this, the faster your dad will cough up the money. Stop! 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 I'm really sorry about all of this. The money isn't here in 48 hours. He's coming here to kill you. I believe anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Happy birthday. Kelsey. Yes. What happens in happy birthday? I think it's important to start with the end. Okay. Because I don't think it's possible for me to talk about my feelings about this movie without discussing the ending. Okay. So, if you've ever seen the game... Yes. The game with Michael Douglas and Sean Penn, among others, and directed by David Fincher. Very good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah. We just watched it recently, actually. We did, because it's on Netflix. Yeah. If you've ever seen the game, then... You know, and here comes a spoiler for the game, so if you haven't seen it, we do recommend it, so go watch it before you hear this. Yeah, because this movie will spoil it for you, too. Yes. It has the same ending as the game. It is pretty much the game, but done with idiot druggies in Hollywood. Yes. So it's it ends up... This entire thing is because it's this guy's birthday, and his friend is an actor, I guess, I would think. Or is he a director? Okay, so they're both... (laughs) I never really was clear on what they were. They're both in the industry. Yes. Tommy, the friend, is the son of a famous director or something like that. And so he has a lot of uh, pseudo-clout in the industry where he gets to make movies he gets to write, he gets to direct, all of that. Um, but it's they're all bullshit movies. Yes. And the other guy works for some mega producer. Yes. But he also is an actor. I don't know. It's a little confusing. It is. But anyway, it's one guy's birthday, and and his friend is like, oh, I'll take you to Mexico for your birthday for three days, which I also don't understand because he full-on says I have to work this weekend, so like... What day is it that they're going to go to Mexico for three days? During the week. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? I guess. But his friend tries to pitch him a movie. If you're paying attention, everything he says is going to happen in this movie is what ends up happening to these two guys. Right. But it's all vagaries. It's not specifics. It's like action, adventure, drugs, drugs, kidnapping, kidnapping, cartel. All this shit. What are you working on now? Funny you should ask. Because I've got the most amazing fucking story you've ever heard. Bat shit, tail into the heart of darkness, classic black hat and villain, twist, turns, danger, drugs, unexpected love. Sounds great, man. Sounds fucking great. And if you're paying attention, you'll notice every single thing that he says is what happens to these two guys. Because he has this whole thing set up where basically our main character is going to live through what happens to the main character of the film he is talking about. Yes, he is giving his friend a birthday to remember. And at one point in the movie, Tommy talks to Brady, our main character is Brady, 
Tommy talks to him about how at the kind of at the, towards the beginning about hey, hey, do you remember this birthday? Oh, where I wound up doing crack cocaine with a hooker in a hotel room. Yeah, and it's like everyone loves that story. <laughs> this birthday has to top that. Do you remember that time I ended up in Compton smoking crack in that hotel with that hooker with the giant bush and pancake tips? Look like you're straight out of National Geographic. Yeah, right, right. People fucking love that story. This night has to top that. Do you got that? And that's that's basically the thesis for Tommy's inclination to put Brady through all this to have a, an amazing birthday adventure. But to which also is, get him to make the movie. Right. But this is, the, that's the game. That's what the game is. It is the game. It's Sean Penn, who's Michael Douglas's younger brother, wants to give him an adventure so his life feels actually worth living as opposed to just being a rich asshole and not doing anything with himself. Yes. So he goes on this crazy ride and then at the very, very end, he's told, oh, happy birthday. None of this was real. It kind of has two stages. It's revealed that none of it's real when Brady shoots somebody and then... Later on, when they're dealing with the aftermath of the shooting, which ostensibly is actually real, it's revealed, no, that's part of the plot, too. This is all happy birthday. Nobody's been hurt. Which is exactly what happens in the game. Yes. Literally. Like, at the beginning of the game, you're told, hey, this is like a a live-action adventure game, which these things sort of exist in real life, but they're not this intense. But then it feels like it's getting out of hand and it's going over the top and people are actually trying to blackmail him. And then it's revealed at the end that no, this, all of this was part of the game. Yeah. So, I mean, basically this is the game, but like I said, it's done with druggy kids from Hollywood who... Nobody learns a lesson at the end of this movie. No, there are no lessons. At the end of the game, he learns to be a better person. At the end of this, it's just, hey, let's go make a movie and become rich. Yeah. Also, the game is done tastefully. This is not done tastefully. This is done with... It is so full of just the worst. Okay. I would like to talk about this. I wrote... Weird shit happens just to put weird shit on screen. I'm kind of okay with that aspect of it because it is fun. I will admit that, like, it's kind of a fun movie in spite of all the shit that really bothers me. It's transphobic. It's queerphobic. It's just awful to people. It's trying very hard to be edgy and it punches down. In the process, and I think that's the pro- that's the problem. In the game, it punches up. It punches up at rich assholes who control people's lives. It punches up. This it punches down. Hmm. Um, I I wrote I love and hate this. It's, it has tons of style, but it's all forced. There's absolutely no substance. This guy, this Tebow guy, Casey Tebow, the writer and director. My theory is he's always wanted to be Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino, and now he has an opportunity to make a movie, and this is a script that he wrote in college or something like that, or he just hasn't evolved as a writer since then, and this is what we get as a result. And he's about that age. He's like in his early 40s right now. So, you know, he was the age where he was probably in high school uh, when Kevin Smith and Tarantino movies were coming out, and that's kind of... 
dictated his style and they've grown. Like, remember when Kevin Smith tried to make Jersey Girl and everyone got pissed at him? Well, the lesson that Tebow learned from that is don't try to evolve. <laughs> Just be 90s Tarantino and Kevin Smith and a pale imitation of those things. Did you just get a bagel? Yes, I did. I'm impressed. Wow. Well, if you caught your brother with his dick in a bagel hole when you were 11. No cream cheese? He likes lots of cream cheese. No, Bagels, no cream cheese. Especially? No cream cheese. I don't think I can ever have cream cheese again. But thanks. In addition, I will give the movie this. Throughout the film, I constantly questioned if it was real or not. But I was never certain. Yeah, I wrote pretty early on, I think, at the time of the kidnapping where they're they're playing horse so it's like right when it goes from oh this is a fun sex adventure with these young girls in Mexico to the reveal of no this is a kidnapping i wrote any chance none of this is real any chance this is the game it's already established he can't trust what he sees because when he he's on the drugs and he's like oh that guy was doing that thing and he's like really is that what you saw or did you see this thing why are you laughing i just saw a guy get, i just saw a guy get his throat okay. cut come on think about it is that really what you saw because i don't know about you but i saw her pouring fucking grand marnier down his neck <sighs> yes Everything still works if Tommy is actually playing along with everything, and he's carted away early on in the process, so he doesn't have to participate in any of it. Uh, he's allergic to the drugs, so he can't be drugged any further. Uh, nothing seems to actually be happening to Brody, apart from mild abuse and sedatives. And the chicken feed thing, which seems extremely dangerous, doesn't actually end up happening. Every time something really violent might happen to Brady, something happens to stop it and he saves himself from it. I'm going to stop you right there. The whole thing is they get kidnapped by these two girls. And that's very clear from the very beginning when they show up and they save them from getting food that's shitty. Uh -huh. um, you know they're plants. Yeah. Whether or not it is for the game situation or they're, they're plants for the Mexican cartel, which is what their story is later, it's very, very clear they are obviously there to pick up these two guys for some reason. Yeah. The fact that the main guy can't pick up on that is really sad. Right? It's very, very obvious. So they're kidnapped by these two girls. And it's when they're kidnapped that I started to really question. I was like, is this real? Yeah. Or is this planned? And what does that tell you that we both were like, there's a possibility that this is fake? Yes, but I'm getting there. Uh -huh. If you've ever seen something like Hostel... Yeah. Or basically any movie where a girl is kidnapped and tortured. A lot of this feels like that, but it's flipped on its head because it's girls kidnapping boys. Uh-huh. And so for quite some time, I was, I was concerned that it really was, oh, the girls are now flipped and, oh, you know, it's supposed to be like female empowerment. Like, look at this. Like, girls can do the same thing that guys can do to guys. Yeah. I don't like watching those types of movies. I don't like torture porn. I don't see why that's a fun thing for people to watch. Right. I do understand that it is, I, I understand it's a thing, and that maybe I'm the weirdo, I don't know. But I don't enjoy watching that. And there are other movies that do flip it on its head, such as, like, The Loved Ones, where it is a teenage girl who takes guys. Right. That's one of the few movies that I can think of that actually does it well. Australian modern classic, The Loved Ones. Yes. And it does it well. And... You know, I don't enjoy watching people get tortured, but the way that they did it, it worked. Yeah. 
Here, however, it seems like one of the girls, and this is the other thing too, one of the girls is like his love interest. Yeah. And so she never participates in any of the activities that's going to hurt him. Uh Uh-huh. Which made it seem like, okay, she's acting. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know why, but she's acting, right? It was very clear to me. She's fully aware of everything that's happening. She's not trying to stop it from happening. But for some reason, they want to keep her on the guy's side. The other girl wants to torture him a lot. And the weird thing is, is that at one point, they're having like a party. Yeah. And Tommy... The guy who pitched the idea for the movie, who who all this is behind all this, he appears dead. So I don't know why they were pretending like he was alive and then said later he was dead because he seemed like he was dead. And the whole time they're like taking pictures with this guy who seems like he's dead. And it's like, I'm sitting here thinking, what? <laughs> like, I get that it's supposed to be, oh... Mexicans don't like white people because white people come down to their country and treat it like it's just a place where they can fuck around. Uh-huh. But still, it seemed a little far-fetched that they'd be playing around well, with this Well, these dead are guy. also like, this is like a cartel party. These are bad people. Right. They don't give a shit if he's dead. Right. And then the other guy is just, um, he's tied up. Now, Chris told me later that he was not actually raped. From what I saw, it looked like he was. He had his underwear on still. Right. I thought they were shoving it up there with his underwear on. No, they were just like, God, I'm sorry, guys, that this is the conversation that we're having. But um, it's in the movie. It's in the movie. I know. There's one of the guys at the party takes out a big black dildo and like plays with it and pushes it against his ass. Now, this is sexual assault straight up. But. I don't think there was any actual penetration. And later on in the movie, they say there wasn't any. Right. So we don't see it. But I'm sitting there, and what I'm seeing is a guy being raped by another guy in front of a whole group of people that are laughing about it the whole time. Well, that's why they're laughing is because he's just threatening him. He's not actually doing it. Right. I did not realize this. Yeah. And it felt like, for me, because I like I'm telling you, I thought it was actually happening. Uh-huh. I felt like the movie was trying to say, look at this, isn't this funny when it's a guy? But if it were a girl, you'd be angry. No, I don't think it's funny because it's yeah. a male. Mm-hmm. I think it's terrible both ways. Yeah. And I didn't like the way that the film, I don't know how to put it into words, was treating me like they needed to teach me something. Okay, so there are three moments in the movie where there's a white conspiracy and pop culture speech. Three different moments. There's Tommy in the beginning, talks about how Gremlins is actually a metaphor. I will do a remake of Gremlins, but this time, can't it be a racist commentary against white people? Well, the original was just a racist movie about a bunch of troll-making dark-skinned critters afraid of water, breakdancing to rap music, staying up all night and eating fucking fried chicken. Katie, the 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 girl, the love interest girl, has a conversation about how Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, and the Eminem stole all their stuff from, from black culture. Are you kidding? Zeppelin and the Stones, they literally ripped off everything the old blues legends ever made. Verbatim. 
I mean, the two most popular rock bands in the history of music are the biggest wickers of all. And Steven Tyler talks about the metaphors of, you know, the Avengers and Star Wars and Rocky and Gremlins again being metaphors for black people and all this stuff. Like, it's all about white people co-opting black people and, you know, or saying that black people are bad. He said they're all just racist propaganda films, you know? I mean, look at Star Wars. Highest white people fighting this evil black guy. Have you ever really looked at Darth Vader? I mean, side shot, profile. He looks like a big black dick, doesn't he? And what's that supposed to mean? I, I think he was supposed to look like a samurai. Well, hidden meanings, Corsini. Right, yeah, whatever. Man. There's three separate speeches about that. And one of them is even ripped almost straight from Chasing Amy. Bust this. Those movies are about how the white man keeps the brother man down even in a galaxy far, far away. This guy, this is what I mean when he when I say he really wants to be Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino by having these like, oh, did you know what Like a Virgin is about? Or did you know what, like, you know, those conversations that are in all those 90s movies? <laughs> like, he, it's 2016, dude. You got to give us something better than that. And he does it three times. You weren't here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that's a Mr. Show reference. You twice three times you weren't here he did it three times okay <laughs> it's just for people who like mr show yeah there's a lot of that not good writing meanwhile i'm like okay at this point it has to be real because they can't do that and then say oh it was just a joke at the end yeah but then in addition they tie him up and they put him inside a closet. And she puts a bunch of thumbtacks all over the floor. Yeah. So that he can't escape. Mm -hmm. She really does that. Mm -hmm. He really does get a bunch of thumbtacks all in his legs. Now, you could argue, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Still does it. Well, wrestlers do it all the time. Still, yeah, and they're getting paid for it. Right. And they chose to Well, Tommy's to do paying it. for it. <laughs> no, this is assault straight up. Yeah. It is. And that causes him to hit his head and get knocked out. They also are drugging him. Well, it's also his choice, I should say. If he was to, they they wanted him to stay in the closet. He left like he was not supposed to trudge through the thumbtacks and he did. And But if it was a girl in that situation, we would be cheering her on for going yeah, out that uh -huh. way. And then he bangs his head and gets knocked out. That's all accidental and was not planned. And what would have happened if he hadn't? Yeah. Like there's too many variables that they're not considering. Right. Too many things that have to work out perfectly in so many ways that it could go wrong. Yes. Also, they're not feeding him, which is a form of torture. Yeah. Also, they're giving him some sort of thing to back him up so that he won't go to the bathroom. Yeah. Which is also a form of torture. Yeah, but the whole idea is that, oh, this is how bros mess with bros, you know. Which is funny that you say that. That's bro that, culture. It fucking sucks. It's toxic. Which is funny that you say that because earlier, like I said, when I thought I was watching him be raped... I thought the movie was saying, see, you think it's okay when it happens to a guy, but you're not okay with it when it happens to a girl. Meanwhile, during these other times, we're supposed to be thinking, oh, it's just guys messing with guys. Uh -huh. This movie is all well, over in the place. Yeah. It doesn't know what it wants to do. Yep. And then when you find out that, oh, he shot the girl and, oh, 
you know, that was a mistake. That wasn't supposed to happen. Well, we know it was supposed to happen because the other girl put the gun there specifically for him to use. Yeah, it was a fake gun. Right. Uh Uh-huh. But we're supposed to be thinking that he killed a girl in an accident. Yes. But the other girl put the gun there for him to use. Now, the, the thing is, oh, she put the wrong gun out. Right. I don't believe that for a second. Like, they no, wouldn't no, no, have no, made no, it no. very clear which gun was loaded and which gun wasn't. No. Okay. No. She put the gun there. The story is that she put the gun there, for, the wrong gun there. But it's revealed in the end that, no, that was intentional all along. Absolutely. Also, the gun was put there so he could shoot Elgato. Elgato left without him ever getting his hands on the gun. She comes in and he uses it on her. Also, the whole thing is that they're supposed to have squibs. Yeah. But doesn't that require the the gun to hit the squib on on purpose? Nothing hits a squib. How does it go off? It's remote control. So she had it in her hand. A control in her hand or somebody who's watching on the camera. Remember, there's a camera this whole time. is directing the whole situation. He's the one that calls her. Like, Tommy's in the back room. Directing doesn't this it have whole to thing. be perfectly done on perfect timing? Or you can have it connected to the gun, which is programmed to set a squib off. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I never was under the impression that that gun was was put there incorrectly. So I was like, obviously, she's alive. Yeah. Right? Also, it becomes appallingly obvious when they show up with, I forget what they call it, so, okay, he's th- he thinks he killed a girl, now they've got to take the other girl too, because now she knows what happened, right? Uh-huh. And so, we haven't even talked about it, but there's these two guys who are supposed to be their guides through Mexico. Yes, these are uh, Texican and El Caballo. And so, Tommy comes to them and he's like, we gotta do something about these two girls, and they say, okay, let's go get this thing. And I don't remember what they called it. Um, Doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a it's a catapult. It's a catapult. That's a real thing. I'm telling you. I told you when we were watching the movie. It's a real thing. I know catapults are real. No, used on the Mexican border to get shit over the border. No joke. It's a real thing. It's how they get drugs over the border. And then somebody shows up and they pick it up and they take it over. I'm not kidding. It's real. <sighs> They're just using it for bodies, which is pointless. <laughs> so the idea is that they're going to send these bodies over the border. And they look like people illegally crossing into into America who died in the process, and we just don't care about that. Because they're not American citizens and we don't give a shit. Which is, I guess, possible. It's possible. But it's very yes. difficult to believe. People, people die in the process of crossing the border all the time, and nobody gives a shit. It sucks. But nobody gives a shit. I don't know. As soon as I saw it, I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is so ridiculous. They probably should have explained what they have it for because they really don't. (laughs) Wow, we've missed a lot of what's going on in this movie. I'm going to do a real quick rundown of what happens in this movie. But my my last thing before you do. Okay. My point is I'm very conflicted because the movie did a good job of making me wonder if it was real for a while. Uh Uh-huh. I was never certain that it was real. I was definitely very confused. And so I'm like, okay, so it did that well. 
But do I like this movie at all outside of that? Did it do inventive things? Some, sure. I think Tebow is a very promising director and a shit poor writer. He did some really great stuff. He could be a DP or a director in his own right. He's basically directed nothing but music videos, including three Aerosmith videos and a Steven Tyler documentary, which explains why Steven Tyler's in this movie. And he has a lot of visual style that is very obviously taken from the music video scene. And it it adds a lot of style to this movie. But there's no substance. Right. And the substance comes in the writing. And linking the direction with the writing. And there is no link because the writing's shit poor. So I'm, I'm very conflicted because you and I saw a very different movie. You think? I, I have this. I'm conflicted too. That's exactly what I said. But what I'm saying is that I thought I watched a guy literally get tortured and uh, then in yeah. the end just be like, ha good joke, buddy. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Right. I mean, the two big things that happened to him, like, actually physically damaged because that's all Tommy's concerned with. The point is to emotionally traumatize him. So him getting emotionally traumatized is a win. It's a success. It's exactly what he wanted. So he's not concerned about that. The physical trauma stuff, the tax all in his body, banging his head, that kind of stuff is all shit. He brought on himself. I know that's not the argument you're supposed to make. He was in a kidnapping situation and he was trying to escape, which is perfectly reasonable. As far as Tommy's concerned, dude, you did that to yourself. Tommy's an asshole. I have it written down several times in my notes. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that Tommy is right. I'm just I'm just explaining what I think his point of view is. Right. But I was under the impression that this poor guy was being physically tortured Emotionally tortured, too, yeah. So I was like, hey, I didn't enjoy watching the physical torture. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I felt like it, you know, it tried to flip it on its head and make it girls torturing guys, which was interesting. But then that wasn't even real anyway. It was all just the, a, a poor version of the game. And so I'm just like, I just don't know. Just watch the game, people. Yeah. So anyway, here's what happens. We talked about how Tommy and Brady are friends. Tommy's the son of some big shot in Hollywood. Brady works for a hot shot producer. And Tommy's going to take him to celebrate his birthday after Brady finds out that his girlfriend's been cheating on him. And so he takes him out to Mexico and they have a party. They randomly, in quotes, meet the Texican and El Caballo who are basically their bodyguards. The Texican knows everything. El Caballo is the tough man. And they're going to take him to see interesting things and protect them. And they take them to see a cockfight, which is so... That's really poorly directed. At no point did I think that was even remotely real. They just had some random shots of chickens standing around. And we we're and then shots of the audience cheering and feathers flying up in the air. And we were supposed to extrapolate that that means there was a cockfight happening. Anyway... Steven Tyler shows up as a shaman who's running the cockfight, takes them backstage, gets them high on peyote and other drugs. There's a whole fun segment explaining the different drugs, what's in them and what will happen to you. That's cut together very interestingly in a style that we basically don't see again for the rest of the movie. They take the drugs. Brady freaks out when they go to a bar 
and they get separated from the Texican and El Caballo. They find these girls that they ran into again. They take them to a hotel and they're about to have sexy time. They handcuff them to the bed. They play a game of horse for people who don't know how horses played. And then it's revealed that they're actually being kidnapped. They drug the two of them. Brady, Tommy has a bad reaction to the drugs and ostensibly dies. He gets carted away by a bunch of people where they, they had a party in this room uh, while the guys were, were tied up and drugged. And Tommy gets thrown into a dumpster in quotes. And then a large chunk of this movie is just Brady being tortured by these two girls. He has a connection with Katie. And then the other girl, Lucia is the sadistic one. And they find out that, no, you've been kidnapped. You're going to be held for ransom by El Gato Enfermo, or the sick cat. And then it's discovered that Tommy was the one with the rich dad, and that Brady is actually an orphan, only found out about his dad a year ago, and his dad hates him. So his dad's not going to do anything for him. You should try my boss. Uh, The boss doesn't care either. El Gato finally shows up, gives a little speech gets a phone call his grandson did something violent i don't remember what at school and he has to go so he leaves brady takes a gun that was given to him by katie and shoots lucia when she shows up and then tommy comes in and is like hey it was all a game holy shit you actually shot her you were supposed to have blanks in it Oh, no, Katie gave you the wrong gun, the gun she used to shoot the chicken earlier in the movie. Which, by the way, they just full on killed a chicken. Yes, they did. <laughs> no, not in the movie, but in the context of the, of the yes. story. Yes. And so then, oh, we got to deal with this. But Katie's going to come back with some balloons and some cake because this is all a happy birthday thing. And it was all a plot and she's going to find out. And so she does. El Caballo and the Texican come back to wrap everything up and to take care of everything. How they do that is they take Katie and the dead, in quotes, Lucia, and they, they're they going to put them in a, in a catapult to launch them over the border. So it looks like they were trying to cross the border and they died in the process and no one will care. Uh, he apologizes to Katie because he really cares about her and he doesn't want to do this and he has no control over the situation because the Texican, El Caballo, and Tommy have taken over. In the middle of talking to her, Tommy just unloads a gun into Katie, killing her, in quotes. He goes to Lucia, who is still dead, and, like, I don't know, apologizes to her, too, or whatever, and then she, like, starts stirring and making noises and, like, pulls out the squib and is like, I I have to ask you, have you ever seen one of these or whatever? And then it's revealed that everyone's in on it! Hooray! And then he asks Katie out on a date. End of movie. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between. We meet Steven Tyler again, where he gives that gremlin speech. El Gato talks about how much he loves American film. Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson is his favorite. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, uh, ah, God, I know we've kind of been all over the place on this one, but this movie's all over the place. Yeah. Now that we've gotten through the plot, is there anything left in Lightning Round that you want to talk about? Couple of things. Okay. First of all, since when does Darko Entertainment exist? And why? That's a good question. Donnie Darko is one of my favorite films of all time. I had no idea there was a a 
production company called Darko Entertainment, and I've never heard of it or seen it anywhere else, so I'm very confused. And why it would be involved in this piece of shit, I don't know. The director of Donnie Darko, Richard Kelly, he launched Darko Entertainment in 07. And it did Southland Tales, which was a mixed bag of a movie. Some people love it. Some people hate it. it. Did World's Greatest Dad and God Bless America, which are two movies that are like dark comedies. Uh, World's Greatest Dad was a Robin Williams movie where his son dies uh, while attempting autoerotic asphyxiation while masturbating. And <laughs> God Bless America is a – I think these are both Bobcat Goldthwait movies actually now that I think about it where – a guy and a little girl go on a murder rampage across America. So yeah, it's just a production company run by the guy who directed Donnie Darko. All right. So Darko Entertainment exists, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Tebow says he got the idea for the film when he got snowed in with his family, and all they had to listen to was a Kid Rock CD. He says that is, quote, my idea of hell. And that's an element of the movie where the same song is played over and over again to torture Brady. Which has been done in many movies, so that's nothing. If you've ever seen that whole thing, that whole scene actually totally reminded me of Spun. If you've ever seen Spun, it's about a bunch of meth heads, and he ties a girl up and leads her, leaves her in the bedroom for days and has a terrible thumping song playing over and over and over again. Yeah. It's literally the same exact thing. And that's from O2. So. Mm-hmm. so that was nothing new as a form of torture. But anyway, I love in the beginning, he when he's talking to his girlfriend before he finds out that his girlfriend cheated on him, he is telling her, I don't know, he was at some convention or something where he met Run DMC who talked to him no, about he being mo- he met adopted. DMC from Run DMC. Oh, okay. About being adopted and yeah. Uh-huh. That, that was funny. How he lived a block away from his real mom or whatever. I never knew. Never knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Steven Tyler. Let's talk about Steven Tyler. Apparently, like I said, he, Tebow directed three Aerosmith videos in a Steven Tyler documentary. Steven Tyler says of Tebow he, that he's like family to me. He works hard. So when he asked, how could I say no? Tebow wrote the part of uh, Kasapi Suka specifically for Steven Tyler and asked him to do it. And Steven Tyler said, yes, <clears throat> there's a IMDB quote or an IMDB trivia element that says instead of hotels and rental cars, Tebow wanted as much money as he could to go into the movie. So he saved production thousands by sleeping on Steven Tyler's couch and borrowing his cars while in Hollywood. IMDB actually asked Steven Tyler about that. If he was a good house guest, And Steven Tyler said, a good guest. Have you seen him? He could double for Hagrid. He's basically a tall dude with long hair and a beard. Um, But yes, he was a good guest aside from walking around in his skivvies. I'm not sure I could rent out a couch to a fan, though. That sounds like a horror movie in its own right. (laughs) So basically, because they work together a lot, Steven Tyler agreed to do this for him. I do. And he wrote a song for the. Yes, he did. for For the soundtrack. I do like that Steven Tyler, uh, it's later in my notes, um, but (laughs) every time somebody says something, he's like, what? Yeah. What? (laughs) My buddy is dead. I've been in a room for fucking days. And it's really, really funny because sometimes it works as like a joke because like, 
oh, the main guy's like, let's take the least of the drugs. And he's like, what? And then <laughs> later, it's just somebody's just talking. And he's like, what? <laughs> he was fun, I gotta say. Yes. He was fun. At one point, Texacan or whatever his name is, says that he's as, as American as James Cameron. Yeah. Which I didn't understand. <laughs> so weird. It was very odd. I guess, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and I did, I get to, I got to my notes, and uh, one of the things is he tells this crazy story, Tommy tells this crazy story about doing some sort of drug and it causing, or he was allergic to it, and he goes, yeah, I shit my pants at a Best Buy. And Steven Tyler's like, what? <laughs> I once took my mom's Xanax. He shit my pants in the Best Buy. I almost fucking died. What? Oh, and I wrote here, Jesus Christ, this writing. The constant story time is a lame writing crutch, especially when it's so out of place and the stories are so rehearsed. This is a Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino thing where in the middle of something, somebody just tells a story like they've rehearsed it. And everyone's like, oh, this is natural just so they can have a flashback or just so they can have an interesting story to break up the flow of the movie or to fill it or somebody can prove he's a clever writer. Like that's all it is. And it's so obvious. And it happens like three times in this movie. Like when Lucia has to take multiple breaks to tell the story of El Gato. And it is the worst. It is. It's really, really it's bad. It's the worst. Which again, maybe And it tries like, to justify it though. Go ahead. That made me feel again, like it was an act. Right. Because it felt scripted. But it tries to justify it. Basically, there's some cartel dude who runs the drug cartels in Mexico. And it tells the story of Elgato, who is his son. But it's his second oldest son. So how did Elgato get to take over the empire? Well, their father found out that the oldest, who he loved the most, might have been gay. And so he's tied him to a chair, tied a string to his dick which then gets tied to a gun and then puts gay porn in front of him. So if he gets an erection, he'll he'll cause the gun to go off and it will kill him. Which doesn't really make sense. It's so dumb. It's so <laughs> convoluted. And you can tell somebody wrote it, but never thought about how that would actually work. Mm -hmm. And then, but apparently El Gato as a little kid is watching this whole time and he sees the gun go off. And he goes crazy or whatever. But what we find out later, what he actually saw was that the dude, the older brother, killed himself. Intentionally did it. You know, took his his foot or something like that and set it off. And I'm sorry, if your boner is going to set off this gun, how are you going to get into a position? How, how much would you have to move in order to get your leg up there or whatever it is he said he did in order to force it to go off? It would have gone off way before that. See what I'm saying? When they don't think about the logistics and how this would work. And anyway, it so enraged El Gato what their dad did to his older brother that he killed his dad and took over the empire. Mm-hmm. Like, it's supposed to vindicate it by saying, oh, the kid was mad that the dad did this to the gay son. It doesn't stop the fact that they wrote this into the story for shock value. Mm -hmm. And I could totally see why people would be offended by that. There was an odd conversation between the main guy and a bartender. And then it came up again later when we met El Gato. He's telling him about the devil and how if he only goes after the bad people, doesn't that make him a good guy? And it's one of the few things that I thought was actually interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's but the Punisher But it didn't make ethos. any sense. 
I, I, no, I see why you like it, though, because that's that's what the Punisher is like. I suppose, yes. He only kills bad guys. Right. But he still kills people. Right. But I, I thought it was interesting, but I also thought it was weird that it came out of nowhere. Like, the whole conversation with the bartender, what was that about? Yeah, they never explained that either. Although, during the credits, they cut back to that, and a guy who's supposed to be Frank Zappa... And actually, Willie Nelson are sitting at the bar and they tell some weird story or whatever. And then it cuts away for no fucking reason. But that's where the bartender comes back in. Is the bartender like, are we supposed to know that person? Is he famous? I don't think so. He also tells him to drink something and they never tell us what it was or why. Right. It's just a way for him to feel threatened. Also, when they go, when they first get back to the girl's hotel room, he talks about, the main guy talks about how... When he was in T-ball, he did something gay for his coach in Vegas so he'd play, which is telling us that he's had some sort of, like, horrible experience where he, like, give his T-ball coach, and T-ball means you're a kid. Like Yeah, some- so sexual assault of a minor, more stuff to make it edgy. This is just what I'm talking about. And they just put that in there for, like, it's nothing. Yeah. But this is, see what I'm saying? This is all the writing. It's all the writing. The writing is god-awful. The twist is incredibly predictable. And when it twists, and then you're supposed to think that the twist is over, it's really predictable that it that it's going to twist again. Because for the love of God, they never turn her body over to tell that she's not actually shot. Son of a bitch. So the writing is really, really bad, but the same exact person directed this movie and the direction has some fun things that's obviously cribbed from music videos, but it adds a lot of personality. Like when the title card comes up with all the credits in the beginning and then they reference that later on in the movie when they when they play like the opening song and then it cuts to a montage of things happening in Mexico and the dude's playing the maracas on the streets of Mexico syncs perfectly with the maracas in the song. Like that kind of stuff, obviously coming from music videos is really cool. And it has a lot of style. That segment I talked about earlier with the drugs, lots of style, but zero substance. It's not connected to the story in any way. And it never comes back. It's just like little vignettes of, hey, isn't this a cool thing that I did once in a music video or I thought about using in a music video and never had a chance to. You give this Tebow person a good script, he might make something really cool. That's what I think. Perhaps. Do you have anything else? I have things, but it's not worth talking about. There was also this weird story told by Lucia about how she was in a foster care home and she was best friend with this person named Wilma. Oh, yeah. More trans came, stuff. Came out of nowhere. I'm telling no you, story sense. time. The sto- the constant story time was so dumb. It's just a way for the writer to, sh- to fill the script and show off these stories that don't need to be connected to the plot in any way. It's a crutch. Because otherwise a writer needs to come up with this shit and find some way to write it into the plot. He doesn't have to if it's just characters having story time, like the Like a Virgin speech. That's why Tarantino puts it in the beginning of the movie, because it's okay to be a non sequitur in the beginning of the movie. You can't keep doing that throughout the length of the film. Yeah, I think that's that's it for me. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I would guess 45. Has no official Rotten Tomatoes score. The audience score is 55. 
oh. out of 58 ratings, an average score of 3.3. There's no official Metacritic review score because there are only three reviews and Metacritic requires at least four. However, those scores are 30, 20, and 12 for an average of 21. (laughs) The 30 comes from LA Times' Noel Murray, who says, From the overwritten pop culture reference-laden dialogue to the incessant attempts to be shocking, Happy Birthday tries way too hard. I 100% agree. For a movie that doesn't have much to say, it sure never stops jabbering. 100%. Mm-hmm. The 20 comes from The Hollywood Reporter, Frank Sheck, a bizarre mixture of black comedy and horror suspense. Happy Birthday is a juvenile effort that at least has the decency to make its American and Mexican characters look equally bad. May I guess. I guess. And the 12 comes from Slant Magazine's Wes Green, who says... I mean, basically what I've been saying here, it plays like it was written by a bro who just discovered the early films of Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) I, on the other hand, think this is a guy who watched them growing up and was at a young enough age where he's like, that's what I want to do and that's what I want to be when I grow up. And then when he finally gets the opportunity to do so, he just goes back to the thing he's always wanted to do since he was in high school, not realizing that that's shit. That's what it felt like to me. So that's a Metacritic average of 21. What do you think it should get? Do you think it's overrated or underrated with the Rotten Tomatoes 55 and Metacritic Metacritic 21? I think it's overrated with the 55. I think it's underrated with the 21. Agree. What would you give it? Like maybe a 41%? 40 was what I was going to say. So close. (laughs) It's not a good movie. It's not, but there's a lot of fun things. We laughed out loud at several moments. Yes, parts of it were very funny. And there's a lot of style, but I just cannot get over all the things where I'm just, I want to scream at the creator and be like, dude, be better. Mm-hmm. Be better. Mm-hmm. Not only with the actual, what's on the screen with, you know, the style and the writing and all that, but with the scenarios and the shit that he's using for shock value to be edgelord funny. And it's like, it's not funny. You're in your 40s, dog. There's no excuse for this. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That would be a very down note to end the episode on. But instead, we are going to talk about Castle Rock episodes 8 and 9, Past Perfect and Henry Deaver. In Past Perfect, newcomers set up shop in Castle Rock, Maine, and Henry follows a clue. And then in Henry Deaver... A world beyond these walls. Don't forget to stick around after this housekeeping stuff, and we'll talk about the most recent two episodes of Castle Rock. What are we watching in the next episode, Kelsey? Um, so next week is another uh, recommendation by Chloe. Okay. It's going to be a double feature. Yep. Amityville Horror. I feel like we need to be honest here. Yeah, we do. We've seen both of them. Yep. They're kind of boring. Kind of boring. But a lot of people love them. Yes. A lot of people love them. And it ties into the Lorraine and Henry Warren, the Warrens. I can't remember the dude's name. Like The Conjuring. So I can truck with that. I don't like them as people in real life. But in movies, they're a great cinematic vehicle to tell an interesting story. So, yeah, let's uh, let's watch it and see. They're not in... 
either movie. I know, but they are <laughs> they're connected to yes. the Amityville horror. Yes. Know. Anyway, that is next episode. Thank you guys very much for listening this week. As always, you can visit us at podcemetery.com where you can get a list of every episode we've ever done, as well as an alphabetical list of every movie we've ever reviewed. We are coming up on 100 movies. That's next week. The remake of Amityville Horror will be our 100th movie that we've seen. You can comment on an episode there. Tell us what you thought about these movies. You can also recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can do that via email as well at podcemetery at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. That really helps out a lot. What especially helps out is just telling your friends and getting them to listen. But more important than any of that, we really appreciate you guys listening in the first place. Okay, for those people that have stuck around, we're going to do some spoiler talk about Castle Rock. Let's talk about Past Perfect. The dude and and his wife who we saw looking at the warden's old house that his widow is selling, they asked if the art is included or whatever, because they thought it was creepy and the dude was into it. We find out a little bit more about this couple, including a lot more. uh, Yeah. A lot more, including the dude beats up the guy that his wife had an affair with when that guy applies for a position at the school where he works. Mm -hmm. And then they, they move away to start a new life because obviously he gets fired and they buy this house and they open it as a murder themed bed and breakfast. Kelsey loved this. I agree. It's awesome. But this is the horror kind of stuff that she's been looking for throughout this movie. Don't worry. It'll be gone by the end of this show. Mm -hmm. They get their first guests who, it turns out, don't care that it's a murder bed and breakfast at all. In fact, it creeps them out. Yes. But they're just there to have an affair. And it's revealed when it's like, oh, how long have you been married? And the girl says 13 years. And the guy's like, two for me or whatever. (laughs) They're like, huh. And then in the middle of the night, they can hear them fucking. And so the dude gets up, goes into the room and kills them all. Kills them all. There's only two of them. Kills both of them. And the whole time you're under the impression that he was planning on killing his wife. And then when he actually kills these two, I think it's like, oh, fuck. Well, I didn't I, I didn't get that impression. He, I don't think he was planning to. I think it was possible. I think it was there. But I don't think that was his plan. I felt like he was planning it. Because he opened up this bed, this murder bed and breakfast place. If he could have killed her, like if he wanted to kill her, he could have multiple times. But he doesn't. Uh, anyway, they decide to clean up. And just like he ignored the fact that she had an affair, she's ignoring the fact that he murdered these people. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to clean up. Jackie Torrance shows up. Who, again... If, if you don't remember from, like, the first couple episodes we talked about, uh, is she's the main character from Don't Breathe. The and actresses. The actresses, yes. Jackie Torrance in the story is Jack Torrance's niece mm-hmm. from The Shining. She shows up and she's like, hey, I'm a taxi driver. I figure you talk me up to your clients. I can tell your people this is a great place to stay. And then she realizes what the place is and is like, Fuck. No joke, I literally thought about doing this (laughs) as like a horror theme park place you can turn Castle Rock into. Man, respect. It's so good. It's really, really funny. (laughs) And as she's leaving, it's very – she's kind of weirded out by the way they're behaving. Because they kind of push her out the door. Yeah. As she's leaving, she finds a bracelet with blood on it. 
and she tastes it and she realizes it's blood, but she still gets in her car and leaves. Henry Deaver decides he wants to follow up on the clue. That clue is he's been to the warden's house before and the widow kicked him out. It was locked and he couldn't go down there before he was kicked out. So now he's going to go back to the place that has a family in it. He's just blatantly, he breaks into the... He doesn't have to break in. He opens up the cellar door and goes in through the cellar. He's trespassing. He's trespassing. He's not breaking and entering. He's trespassing. Mm-hmm. But they're asleep. He goes into this room that has what we find, what we found out earlier in the show, what was in the basement. It's just a hundred different paintings of the kid. Mm-hmm. If you don't remember, the kid is the name that we've given to the potential devil character played by the guy who plays Pennywise, Skarsgård. So he's like, shit. Yeah, the warden knew about this. And he finds the oldest one is from the 90s, from the same year that he disappeared. And he's wearing a sweater that looks like the sweater that the kid, uh, that that Henry Deaver was wearing when he got, when he was missing. And he takes a picture of that when the dude who runs the bed and breakfast shows up. And there's this very tense sort of situation, like, what the fuck are you doing here? Listen, I'm a lawyer. And then he's like, you know what? I should probably just leave. Yeah, I think you should. As he's about to leave, Henry gets stabbed by the wife. And the husband's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then there's this whole fight. And in the struggle, Henry manages to get the wife to stab the husband in the neck and herself in the neck. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually do it. Right. As the husband is who's still alive, by the way, he gets no, he gets stabbed like in the back or something like that, chases him outside and is like strangling him and is trying to stab him with the with the knife. The husband gets chopped in the back of the head with a fell axe wielded by Jackie Torrance, who showed back up to inspect the place because she got that bad feeling and she found that bloody bracelet. Mm-hmm. The police show up. And it's funny because earlier in their living room, they have a guy who has a um, an axe in his head. Yeah. And she points out that they have the wrong type of axe. Yeah, it should be a, a fireman's axe, a fire axe, because the dude who did it was a fireman. And then she ends up getting him with an axe. So yeah. That's funny. And then Henry starts to kind of hallucinate. And he worries about... Who is he worrying about? Is this his son or something like that? And he runs off into the woods. I don't remember. Uh, he, no, he runs to his car and drives off. Nobody was like paying atten- close enough attention to him. And like, oh, shit, what the fuck happened? And that's kind of the end of the episode. We also get revealed to us exactly what happened in the previous episode where Alan Pangborn is dead. The police show up and they question Henry and they're like, you seem to be around all these tragedies. You come back and now all these people are dying. And the kid runs off into the woods in the process. The next episode, Henry Deaver, is basically an alternate reality episode where Henry Deaver is the kid. The kid is named Henry Deaver and is the son of a priest. He is Henry Deaver. Yes, he is Henry Deaver. And he's the son of the priest. And Sissy Spacek, his mom, actually took him away from his crazy father And as opposed to what we know really happened to the black Henry Deaver, the adopted Henry Deaver, and the kid Henry Deaver is living on his own. He's living a successful life. He has a girlfriend until he's told by Alan Pangborn, who's now living with the the mom, uh, that his dad has died. And so he goes and tries to clean up his dad's estate and everything like that and finds young 
black Henry Deaver in a cage in the basement of the priest. What the fuck? It's like a reverse of what happened in our version of the story. Mm-hmm. Except it's modern day now, and this is a kid Henry Deaver. And the kid ends up escaping while being questioned, runs off into the woods, and uh, at first they kind of don't know what happened to him. They catch him later. He sets fire to a hospital bed, just like... Henry Deaver does. Yes. In the other version. Yes. The Pennywise Henry Deaver, I guess is the way to say it. Um, does in the white. other version. Yeah, the white Henry Deaver. He gets... Um, the 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 black Henry Deaver gets questioned. Um, our girl f- realizes she has a connection to him. You know the uh, the shining girl mm-hmm. who has the connection to the black Henry Deaver in the other world has a connection to this one and agrees to take him home. She is a councilwoman in this alternate reality. Yes. And when they're driving him home and the prison guard from our world is just a cop in this one follows them. And they get separated by a train and she agrees to drive into, you know, follow him into the woods. They go into the woods. The cop fires his gun into the air. And we start to see there's this breakdown between these different universes in this at this location in the woods. Supposedly the place where you're supposed to hear God's voice. Yes. And we see a bunch of people from a bunch of different time periods. Yes. All kind of like seeing each other. And they all have had something bad happen, clearly. Right. So young black Henry Deaver disappears and our girl gets shot by the falling bullet, which is possible, but not likely. They come down not nearly as fast as a normal bullet would travel, but still fast enough to hurt you. Well, also, they're in this weird alternate reality. So yeah, we're thinking bad things are happening. Yeah. uh And as she's dying... White Henry Deaver comes to her and is like, oh, my God, she's dying. And as he's kneeling down next to her, he pops into the other world. And she tells him, take care of him. Yes. She's worried about him. Yes. About Black Henry Deaver. About Black Henry Deaver. So basically this connects. It tells us exactly where White Henry Deaver came from. These are two separate realities where the priest and Sissy Spacek had their own kid. Or maybe they adopted another kid. I don't think it's ever no, actually. No, they had their kid. own. Yeah, they had their own kid. Um, and she gets him away from her husband when he goes crazy versus the world we've been seeing so far where they couldn't have their own kid. They adopt Black Henry Deaver and she doesn't get away from the priest. Which then in turn makes it make sense why... Black Henry Deaver pushes his dad. Yes. Because <laughs> he's like, you've been keeping me in a, thing, in a cage for years. So here's the connection. Young Henry Deaver, when he disappeared, was taken into the woods by his father to hear the voice of God. What actually happened was he was transported into the other world, shows up at the priest's doorstep and tells him all this stuff that he would have no way of knowing if he wasn't his kid. But the priest heard the same thing that the warden did, the voice from God, you got to lock him up. He's going to destroy things. So he locks him up and he's in there for years. White Henry Deaver grows up and comes back and releases him. They run into the woods and they both get transported back to the other world at the age when Henry Deaver, Black Henry Deaver was a little kid. That's where he was found again. Perfectly fine, not hypothermic and still young. That's when the warden catches white Henry Deaver in this new world and locks 
him up. And then he spends the same amount of time locked up in the in the bottom of this prison or in this other burnt-out ward of the prison and also doesn't age the entire time he's there. And he kind of goes crazy that during that process. And he just knows he, he's Henry Deaver. He needs to ask for Henry Deaver. And he needs to protect him. And that's where we are. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that white Henry Deaver... Because he does say, oh, my God, do you hear it? Finally. Yes. I think that white Henry Deaver is waiting to be taken back to his world. Right, because if you can hear it, we could go back to the woods and I can go back to my world. And so everything that we might have guessed about this show before is totally completely wrong. Yes. Which kind of upsets me because it's like. You really wanted him to be Pennywise, I know. But like, I also, <laughs> there was just no way of figuring that out. Yeah. There was no way of knowing. Which I think is fine because it is supernatural. And all the clues they left are not necessarily clues to help you figure it out, but they're links to where if you go back and watch it, you'll be able to see that they've been there the whole time. Not necessarily that you're supposed to have been able to figure it out because it is off the wall. And there's no reason you should be expected to anticipate that that's what's going to happen. So, I mean, at this point, the final episode has to be him getting back to his own time. In which case, if that's all this story is. I'm fine with it. I don't know. I'm totally fine with it. But it's like their presence in the other worlds is like messing with those other worlds. Yeah, but it just feels very. That was it? You don't think a Stephen King movie could be about that? No, I do. I just, it's one of those movies where I'd be like, that's it. I like this. I really do. I think that this is really good filmmaking for television. I think this would make a good short story. (laughs) It's too long. There's too much stuff. It feels like a short story that was turned into a way too long TV series. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I can see I can see why you think that. But no, I'm I'm really, really enjoying myself and I really enjoy this kind of twist in the story. I like the explanation. I like that he's not just a devil, that it's something completely different that you weren't expecting. I like that. I also like that we still have no idea what the voice of God is. We have no idea who's telling these people to lock these people up, but they're not wrong. They are fucking with the world when they get there. But does that make it okay that they get locked up? No, of course not. Maybe there's another solution that can be found and they're finding it, which is get them back to their world. But they also got let out, right? At a moment when, you know, you touch the person from the other world and you become suicidal. So the the priest does it and kills himself. The warden does it and kills himself. That's why they're let out after 27 years, which is the Pennywise time frame, which is why Kelsey was like, ooh, Pennywise, <laughs> which is reasonable. And, you know, there's it's like it's like it was all ordained and that the voice, whether it's God or not, that told them to do this intentionally wanted it to last for 27 years because that's the gap between when the connection happens in that world and when it happens in the other world. That's the distance between the links, 27 years. So they both have to live that same amount of time in those other worlds before they can get back to their own world. And it's like no time has passed. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's going to happen when Henry Deaver remember our black Henry Deaver remembers all this stuff yeah because as it stands right now he doesn't and i think i think it's pretty obvious that white henry deaver doesn't remember a lot of it either Mm -hmm. 
And so being he in this other world. He remembers more, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, being in this world kind of fucks with you. Mm-hmm. And I think Henry, Black Henry Deaver forgot all of it. And I want to know what happens when he remembers it and how they film that. I'm curious. There was also a bunch of things that made me thinking it was Pen- Pennywise as well before the last episode, um, the episode before that, where we get to see what Black Henry Deaver sees when he's in that room, when everything is silent. Yeah. He basically gets taken into, and of course I can't remember what it's called. I meant to look it up and I didn't. It's, oh, the Macroverse or whatever it is. Yeah. Which is described it. in It. Yeah. Where he talks to the turtle, where he talks to Pennywise and he sees- Spoilers for It. Whatever. And he sees everything <laughs> and anything all in the universe. Yeah. And that's what they show Henry Deaver dealing with when it's he's It's an in interesting room. interpretation of that. I can see how how you would- Come to that conclusion. I think, though, that th- that there's not enough for us to say that that is what it is. But I can see why you would say, oh, that could be what it is. We just need to learn more, I think. If that's what it was, I thought it was a great representation of it. Yeah. Neither of the It movies tried to show it. Yeah. And I thought this would, if that, that's what I would have pictured it being like, based on the way it's described yeah. in it. And then also, it's just that Pennywise just causes bad things to happen. Yes, he can specifically kill children and whatnot, but he can just be somewhere and bad shit will happen. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I thought it was going. So I had originally predicted that Stephen King was going to show up in this story as Stephen King, who is a writer. Didn't happen. You originally predicted that Skarsgård was Pennywise. No, I originally thought he was... Right, from the stand. Right. Which, I mean... (laughs) They basically, him and Pennywise are a lot alike. They're yeah, not exactly uh, the same, but they're a lot alike, but right. still. Um, and, but, and that didn't happen either. No. Are you excited for the last episode? I'm intrigued. I think we, that? I think we're both predicting that the last episode is going to be about getting White Henry Deaver back to his timeline mm-hmm. and correcting everything. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to make these worlds better? I don't know about better. I just hope it doesn't snap back to when... They were both taken, and so then they get to live out their lives like they would. Like normal? Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen. I could see it happening. I can see I can see why you're afraid of that. Hmm. Interesting. But it's coming up. We will talk about it in the next episode. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, do you have any parting wisdom to share with the audience? If you didn't decide to Michael Douglas me, none of this would have happened. Addicted to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Smoldings and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones Go away, helicopter. Jeez. And stick around at the end for a spoiler-filled discussion of the most recent two episodes of Castle Rock. I didn't get their names. One second. 
And don't forget to stick around at the end of the episode. We're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion of the last two. <laughs> Let's get talking about this movie. Oh, God. Put your tongue up his ass. Oh, yeah. Put your tongue up his asshole. Oh, edgy writing. <laughs> you do something and then they have to replicate it. That's how the game started the first two things they did. Why did they just change it? I don't know why this bothers me so much. And he calls him Crisco, and I don't get that reference either. Uh, probably something about him being white. Uh, um, <coughs> one last thing before we wrap this up. I think we should point out that Skarsgård, Bill, Bill Skarsgård? When you're a normal person and you're not Pennywise and you're not the dude who is kept in the cage in this. And sad all the time. Yeah. It, when when you're expected to smile and be happy, it's a little unsettling. Oh, poor guy. I can see why you're cast to be these other people. <laughs> I'm sure it's just – I'm sure it's just because I'm used to him being creepy. Mm-hmm. If he was just a dude and he smiled, I probably wouldn't think that. But because there's all this extra baggage that comes along with him <laughs> – it's like, oh, I don't want him to smile. Never smile. 